Well, amen, church. Are you ready for it? He is risen. He is risen amen. Got to get one more of those in. Well, good morning. Happy Easter to each and every one of you as we celebrate the resurrection today. Before we begin, I'm going to do one of my audience polls. So I want you to get your hands ready. Shake them out if you need to. All right, we're going to do a practice run here. Raise your hand if you have a hand. All right, some of you had to think about it, but you do. You probably have two of them. And uh, I'm going to explain two options here. I want to know where we fall as an audience on this. I'm going to explain it to you first and give you a chance to decide. So don't jump the gun uh, right at the beginning. Wait until I call for your hands. But I would like to know this morning, would you consider yourself somebody who's a little bit more spontaneous? Or would you say that you like things a little bit more scheduled? Would you describe yourself as somebody who is impulsive? Or do you like structure and you do best within that? Do you like surprises, both giving and receiving? Or do you appreciate predictability? Are you the kind of person that likes to make it up as you go? Or do you like to plan your work and work your plan? All right, you ready? You got the two things in mind? First up, all right, raise your hand if you are the more spontaneous, impulsive, like surprises, make it up as you go. Raise them high. Okay, a few more, a higher percentage in the second service. There might be something to that than in the first service. But now I want you to raise your hand if you would say, no, Pastor Mark, I'm more scheduled, structured, I like the predictability, I like to have a plan to work within. Okay, quite a few more. That's clearly the majority. Now, I'm thankful that I got to raise both hands because I'm a bit of a mutt when it comes to this one, all right? I actually coined the phrase planned spontaneity. Planned spontaneity. If you're familiar with oxymorons, that is one, right? Jumbo shrimp. I could go on, but I'm just going to wade into some deep waters if I do. But planned spontaneity was something we came up with. I tended to over-plan. By nature, I'm probably more uh, in that first, um, second group, probably more in that second group. But we started to recognize that I was planning the fun out of every family vacation. And so we designed certain times within our vacation that we called planned spontaneity, where we're going to find something to do or some billboard we'd seen or those pamphlets at the at the front of the hotel, that we could have some spontaneity in the midst of our vacation. I would also say that I like a well-researched adventure. Impromptu adventure is not necessarily my thing. We're going on a vacation uh, in about a month, a little over a month, to all the parks of the Southwest, the national parks, and I have been planning and doing the research because the last thing I want to do is learn that we picked the four-and-a-half-mile hike instead of the two-mile hike because often you don't find out until it's too late. And then you got to make that decision, well, we're going to go see the waterfall, right? Like we're already halfway in, and now you've got blisters and everything else. So I like a well-researched adventure. And my family is laughing in the front row because we've, we've learned as we've gone. But I bring this up because Jesus was full of surprises, wasn't he? He often broke long-standing norms. The last week of his life was no exception, both public and privately. He was full of surprises. Think about it. On Palm Sunday, there's an impromptu parade. That had never really happened before for him or for what he was doing. There's the cleansing of the temple. That caught a lot of people off guard. And then more privately, in the upper room, he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes the disciples' feet. They clearly were not expecting that. 
And then when the Passover Seder begins and there's a well-worn script, he deviates from the script and institutes the Lord's Supper. He was full of surprises. And yet, I don't think I would describe him as impulsive at all. And I think it's fair to say that most of his followers were in the second group. They liked the predictability. The Jewish culture was built around rhythms daily, weekly, through the seasons, and through the year. They knew what to expect in many ways. And clearly, they were not expecting his crucifixion and death. Even though he had told them point blank at least three times, here's what's going to happen, guys. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be turned over to the hands of sinful men. I will be crucified, and I will die. They forgot. It was a surprise to them, even though he told them it was coming. And at the end of Luke chapter 23, we learn about Jesus' followers snapping into action after his death, after it is finished. We see them moving into action. We see Joseph of Arimathea requesting the body of Jesus so that they could prepare it for burial, turning over his own tomb of great value so that Jesus could be placed there. And the last words of Luke 23 tell us that they were preparing spices and ointments, and then they rested on the Sabbath, because in their mind, we're still under the law. Who we thought was the Messiah is not the Messiah. There's no Easter on their calendar. They don't know what we know. And so they're already back to business as usual. They're already back to the structure. And that's where we pick up the Easter story in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. It'll be on the screens. You're welcome to turn there if you'd like. But we're told that on the first day of the week, after Holy Saturday, after the Sabbath, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Surprise! They were not expecting that. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Say, what? And they lean in. That's amazing. And then they explain. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And then they remembered his words. Oh, yeah, that whole ears to hear thing. Now they understood. And the familiarity of what he said came forcefully back to them. But it is clear from this passage they were not expecting the resurrection, even though they were told point blank three times that it would happen. And so it makes me reflect on this, that it's just so easy for us to slip back into our well-worn habits and patterns and to forget the power of the resurrection that's available to us, not just once a year on Easter Sunday, but every day of the year, 24-7, 365, forever. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the fact that we're concluding our sermon series titled Kingdom Culture Today. 
But just like the resurrection, what seems to be an ending has the potential to be a springboard into a new beginning. That kingdom culture could not just fade into the distance and be, oh yeah, remember that one sermon series that we did where the culture was upside down and backwards? You see, when we walk out those doors on Easter Sunday, we're still walking out into a culture that is upside down and backwards. We don't need to just put kingdom culture on the shelf. We need to keep living kingdom culture. We need to keep striving to plant ourselves in the middle of the two kingdoms, to not withdraw so completely from the kingdom that we lose our ability to influence it, but also not to blend in so completely to the the culture around us that we lose the opportunity to influence it for Christ. You see, that's the beauty and the power of the resurrection. What they thought was an end was actually a beginning. And so this might be the final week of this series, but just like Easter, it has the potential to be that springboard into a new way of life. That we can continue to live Christ-centered lives because kingdom culture is a Christ-centered culture. It's a serving culture. It's a prayerful culture. It's a humble culture. If you're joining us for the first time or the first time in a while today and you want to hear what we've been talking about, you can go online to our YouTube page, our Facebook page. You can go to our website. You can go into our church center app. And all those messages are there. And you can learn what we've been talking about. You can catch up with us. And then next week, we're going to begin a new series where we drive the kingdom culture into our families. We're going to be talking about kingdom families. And what does it look like? What are dif- what's different about kingdom families compared to the families that aren't kingdom families? And how can we cultivate kingdom families? It's going to be a special series. So I want to encourage you to come back. If this is your first time here in a while, don't make it your last time for a while. Come back next week. Come back and bring a friend with you. We put some more chairs in the sanctuary so we'd have plenty of room for everybody to come. And we want to continue to grow. And we want your family to grow in the rhythms of the kingdom. In fact, at the end of the month, on April 30th, we're going to have a special Sunday. We'll have a special guest speaker who's going to be talking about God's testimony in his kingdom family. We're going to have our spring picnic that afternoon. And Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, which is a real danger with all the snow that's up north. The creek might rise, but hopefully we'll have nice weather on the 30th and we'll grill hot dogs outside. You can bring a salad or a dessert to share and we'll have a good old-fashioned church family potluck and picnic. And then the following day, our Seniors on the Go ministry will be hosting a second event with Robert Rogers, our special guest speaker, at the end of the month. And you can come back for that, and you can participate in that as well. Lots of good things that are coming. But today, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning on a passage from 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up to 1 Peter chapter 1. It's way at the back. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to have one open in your hands, you can grab one from the seat in front of you and open up to page 1886. And if you're joining us online, we'll put these words up on the screen, but you're also welcome to open a Bible uh, where you are. This is the best news ever, my friends. It's not just good news. It's not just great news. It is the best news ever that we're talking about. And I find it fascinating that it's Peter who writes these words. This is Peter who was there on the first Easter morning. He came to the tomb. But before that, this is Peter who denied that he even knew Jesus three times. This is Peter who abandoned Jesus to death on a cross alone. This is Peter who hid in the upper room for fear of the Jews. 
This is Peter who went back to the fishing boat, went back to what was predictable, went back to what was familiar. This is Peter who was restored by Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. He was restored by Jesus three times because he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus wants him fully restored. And Jesus gives him a new mission in life. He says, Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my flock. And Peter becomes a leader, a central leader in the new church in Israel. And he writes this letter to churches and believers who are in persecution. So if you think for a moment that you are too far gone, that it's too late for you. Peter is the proof that it's never too late, and you are never too far gone. You are never too far gone for grace. Peter proves that for us. He settles that once and for all. Because if anybody had disqualified themselves for a relationship with Jesus Christ, if anybody had disqualified themselves from leadership in the local church, it was Peter. And yet Peter becomes a central figure in that local church. Peter writes these words that we are reading thousands of years later, following billions of people who have read these words that Peter wrote. It is not too late. You are never too far gone for grace. And so let me read verses 3 through 5. Where Peter, it's almost like he can't contain it. He's gotten his little formal introduction out of the way. And then he bursts out. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What a verse. What a passage. I want to encourage you this Easter to write out at least verse 3. Put it on a sticky note. Put it somewhere that you'll see it on a regular basis. I can't encourage you strongly enough to do this. In fact, if you're the type that responds to a dare, I dare you to put this on a sticky note or on a piece of paper. Put it in your car. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it somewhere that you'll see it early in the day and recite it with authority. And I guarantee you, you'll have a better day than you would if you hadn't. Because there's some key words in this passage. There's some key words in this verse that we have to spend some time reflecting on. First and foremost, he says, in his great mercy. He's talking about God's great mercy. His mercy isn't just kind of cool. His mercy isn't just really good. It is great. And mercy reminds you is when we don't get what we deserve. And because what we deserve, the sin that we have sinned, entitles us, we're told, to punishment and death, His mercy is more. We sing that song. Praise God, His mercy is greater than our sin. And so Peter begins with God's great mercy. He brings that to the forefront and he says, in His great mercy, we don't get what we deserve. Instead, he has given us new birth into a living hope. New birth is an important phrase. It's an important understanding. See, Jesus told us in John chapter 3, in that little conversation he has with Nicodemus that we get to sort of eavesdrop on, he says you must be born again. Not just of the water, not just the natural birth, but there must be a spiritual birth 
You must be born again. And so Peter is saying to us that in his great mercy, God has given us that new birth. We have to be born again into a new life. Three times in the Gospels, in Mark 2, in Matthew 9, in Luke 5, he talks about how you can't put new wine into old wineskins. And you might be thinking, what is the pastor talking about wine on stage in Easter? Well, it's not, the wine's irrelevant. He's making a point that if you put new wine that hasn't fermented yet into old wineskins that have already stretched out, then they will burst. And both the wineskin and the wine will be ruined. But he says, if you put new wine into new wineskins, the new wineskin can expand with it. And what he's basically saying is, you don't just add a little bit of Jesus to your life. You need a new life. You need a new relationship with him. You need a death to the old way of life so that you can live the new way of life. That's what the new wine and the new wineskins is talking about. Not about adding a little bit of Jesus to our lives, like the cream in your coffee. No, new life in him. The old has passed away. The new has come. Because our old lives can't contain him. We need a new birth. We need new life. But he's not finished yet. He says it's new life into a living hope. New birth into a living hope. Not a dead, dying, temporary hope, but a living hope. A new, life-giving, eternal hope. A hope that never dies. A hope that never ends. A hope that never diminishes. And that's what's available to us, we're told, through the power of the resurrection, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As our kids led us in worship last week, death is defeated. The king is alive. Now, in some places in the world, they would say amen after a phrase like that. So let's try it again. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, death is defeated. The king is alive. Amen. amen. That means so be it. That means I agree. That means yes. That's good news. The king is alive. And this is why the resurrection is such a big deal. Because in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the English Standard Version Study Bible summarizes this verse and sort of sets up what's coming next with these words. It says, believers have an unshakable hope for the future. For Christ's resurrection is a pledge of their own future resurrection. You see, the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. It's that hinge of history. It changes everything from what happened before to what happens after. And when we experience the power of the resurrection, when we enter into the new birth through a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we trade in the wages of our sin, which is death, for the gift of God, which is eternal life in Jesus Christ, the resurrection changes everything for us from that point forward. When we renounce our sin, we renounce our shame, we turn that in and we turn to God. That's repenting. And when we repent and turn to God, the resurrection can change everything in our lives. And it's a pledge of our own future resurrection. That's where Peter sets his sights next in verses 4 and 5. He says, not only are we given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, also we are given that into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Inheritance means we're part of a new family. We talk here at Linwood about being a family of families, that our vision is to be and increasingly become 
a healthy family of families. And when people come into our place, we want them to believe. We want them to belong. And we want them to become all that God has desired for them to become. Because as each one of us does that, as we believe, as we belong, as we become, then we as a family of families become a healthy family of families. We grow and we invite new people in. And in the Old Testament... That word inheritance referred first to the inheritance that the people of Israel had in the promised land. And it's beautiful imagery to keep in the back of your mind. You see, they spent generation after generation in slavery in Egypt. And then God, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, He led His people out of slavery in Egypt, literal slavery in Egypt, and into a literal promised land where they had an eternal inheritance. And Peter is leveraging that language for us in Jesus Christ. We are led out of slavery to sin and death and into the promised land of eternal life through the new birth into a living hope that's available to us through Jesus Christ. I told you it was the best news ever. And it's preserved for us in heaven. I think that's important because that means it will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's not like that spinach in the back of your fridge that is perishing, spoiling, and fading, right? That never seems to happen with cookies. It only happens with spinach, and it's all gooey, and you're like, oh man, happened again. That's not what's happening with our inheritance. That's not what is promised to us. What is promised to us is kept for us in heaven, where it will never perish, spoil, or fade. And wait, there's more. Because he tells us that He's talking to us still. He says, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's not over yet. And that when we put our faith in trust, and that word faith means belief, it means trust, it means reliance upon, it means clinging to Christ and Christ alone. When we put our faith in Jesus, through that faith we are shielded in this life, in our earthly years. By God's power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is good news, folks. And it shows us beyond any shadow of a doubt that kingdom culture is a resurrection culture. Just as much as it is a Christ-centered culture, it is a sending, serving culture, it is a prayerful culture, it is a humble culture, it is a resurrection culture. Kingdom culture is where dead things come back to life, where endings are really beginnings. Kingdom culture is resurrection culture. And Holy Saturday, the day we just had, between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, Holy Saturday is the proof that the silence of God does not equal the absence of God. Because for those who are in Christ, Sunday is always coming, always because kingdom culture is resurrection culture. And kingdom culture is hopeful culture. And kingdom hope is a living hope. So I want to bring this home to the person sitting in your seat. I want to bring this home to you that are joining online or listening to this at some point in the future. And I want to ask you, what in your life needs to die? What in your life needs to come to an end? And you might think of things like fear or unforgiveness, of pride or anger or lust, maybe envy 
or deceit or selfishness and regret. All of these can come to an end and experience new life. In the place of the old, there can be joy and there can be hope and there can be love and there can be peace and there can be faith and there can be contentment. And the whole fruit of the Spirit can begin to grow in our lives when we let these old things die. Those are the things of the flesh. They don't belong in the new life. They don't belong in the new birth into a living hope. And so we can let them die because kingdom culture is a resurrection culture. New life can come in their place. New hope, new joy, new love, new peace, new faith, new contentment can be ours because kingdom culture is a resurrection culture. And so I can imagine a number of responses to this message today. I can imagine that there are those listening either in this room or joining us online or at some point in the future. Maybe somebody that you shared this message with would say, you know, Pastor Mark, I've never experienced that great mercy. I've never experienced new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no inheritance waiting for me, and I want to experience that. I want to turn my back on my sinful way of life and the sin that will separate me from God forever. And I want to turn to grace. I want to turn to Jesus. I want to make a declaration that on Easter Sunday, April 9th, 2023, I turned, I repented from my sin, and I set my sights on Jesus. And I'll have a testimony that nothing has ever been the same. That might be your response today. Or maybe you're here and you recognize that at some point, whether it was in the last week or the last month or the last year or the last decade, you got off track. You did that at one point in time, but you got off track and the sin crept its way back in and the anger and the lust and the envy and the deceit and the fear and the unforgiveness came back in and today's the day that you turn your back on those. Today's the day that you say with Paul, I have crucified myself with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and you experience new life in Christ. And if that's where you are, then today can be a turning point in your life as well. Today can be a day that you turn to God and turn from the old ways. And maybe you want to be baptized. As a result of that, we would love to have that conversation with you. We have some people that will be baptized in a couple of weeks. On the 23rd, we've got baptisms on the 30th, it looks like we'll have a baptism as well. I kind of jokingly said, I'll fill that thing every week. And you're almost putting me to the test. So if that's where you feel the Lord leading you, today can be the day that you step forward. Put it on your connection card. Come and see me afterwards. But maybe your response to this message is just to share your testimony of how the Lord, in His great mercy, brought you into a new birth and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today is the day that you share that with somebody, and the Lord's already bringing someone to mind. And it involves a text message or a phone call or a handwritten note or going to see somebody and saying, this Easter the Lord laid you on my heart, and I need to share something with you. And just open up your heart and tell them what Jesus has done. This is how the kingdom grows. This is how it expands. And so in these last few moments, the altars are open. As we respond in singing, you can respond by coming to an altar or making an altar where you're seated. If you're in the room and you come to these center altars, these two, one on each side of the front stage, we'll take that as an indication you would like somebody to come and put a hand on your shoulder and just pray with you in that moment. 
and pray for you. If you'd rather be alone as you pray, you can go to the far outside altars. If somebody is heavy on your heart today or there's a need that you brought with you and you would like to write it on a prayer request, there's slips of paper over here in the corner. There's a cross. You can roll that up, place it on the cross. We pray regularly over those collectively. However you choose to respond, my hope, my prayer each and every week is that we will be a people who respond in faith. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful. We are so thankful for the resurrection. We are so thankful for the new birth into a living hope that is available to us by your great mercy. I pray, Lord, that there will be people who respond in faith to that message in one way or another, that there will be people who take their next step, whatever that might be. And so, Lord, as we respond, may this day be a day of new life in the lives of your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.